my I have my Wikipedia open. Yeah, I might I have my IMDB open. But um welcome everybody to Lunchbox Radio. My name is Dan and his name is My, my, my name is you you messed up on your this own is, name. This That's is going awesome. bad. My name's Alex. I'm Dan, his cousin. I should know that, considering I run the site Lunchbox Radio, lunchboxpublishing.com, which you can find this podcast at, and in a little while after this, maybe, you'll be able to find my excursion to the bar before the experience for... Passport to Iron City, which is the promotional thing that they're doing right now for um, Battle Angel Alita, in which, at the end, they give you an awesome can of commemorative Arizona iced tea <laughs> and a that is That is some very nice promotional swag you've well, got like, there, like, Alex. I, I, sh- I won't lie. That's, that's classy. I, I like that. I should make this very clear. We are not bought by... Alita, although it is following me around quite hard on the internet, which is impressive. Probably because it's like, oh, Alex will like this movie. Zuckerberg has you zeroed in, my friend. Oh no, it's probably just more James Cameron and his weird... So, before we get into... So, we're going to be talking about Ghost in the, the live-action Ghost in the Shell. And if you heard me and Dan's last episode you'll know we talked about Lost in Translation, which, by the way, people really like Dan. That's great. I'm um, glad to hear it. But this is... This movie is like Scarlett Johansson Part 2, basically, for this, like, for us. But, yeah. um... Before we get into that, what do you know about Battle Angel Leader? Anything? I know, I I know, so I, of course, I went to uh, film school yeah. and stuff like that, so I love the industry, I, I love the Holly weird, if yeah. you will, um, yeah. but yeah, no, I, um, I, I don't know too much about the property, the intellectual property that it's I based mean, on, but what I do know is that it's like a huge litmus test for if uh, anime and manga are going to be the new superhero movie source material now that they've basically mined most of the Western comics canon. See, I didn't know that people were looking at it like that, which is interesting because it's getting really bizarrely tepid reviews. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. From, that from was actually end, something it's I was like, going to bring up. It's getting, like, super tepid reviews, but from, like, the end of people in more my sphere, meaning anime, manga, that kind of stuff, everybody's just like, just go see this goddamn movie. <laughs> It's everything we've ever wanted in a movie. Don't tell anybody, though. I, uh, well, I wonder how much of the uh, go see this movie is motivated out of a sense of they want other things to get made as well. Because well, that's always my thing in, in Hollywood is that things that uh, that are maybe cult fan things that Hollywood takes a chance on that do poorly, there tends to not be another one like it made for quite a while. Yeah. And so, we're going to slide this into the conversation about Ghost in the Shell in a second, but the big, big thing about um, Alita is James Cameron has been trying to make this movie for literal decades. 
Yeah, well, that's him, you know? Like, he... I, I, it's like... Like, all the movies that you... That people like, well, this is James Cameron's dream movie. Like, in the in the back of the room, there's always an otaku like me, like, no, motherfucker. He's had the rights to Battle Angel Alita for decades. And just no one... He just can't figure out how to con the right person into giving him enough money. Yeah. Uh, well, that seems to be the big problem with a lot of his things is that, like, I mean, uh, the whole point of Titanic is that James Cameron wanted to do deep sea, um, art, like, um, archaeological expeditions. Well, that was really the only way to reason fund he made it. that movie? That's amazing. Pretty much. I mean, <laughs> so like, I he remember... basically wrote a script that he knew would be a successful romantic film that used the Titanic <laughs> as a centerpiece and that basically All that the funded the the scenes where like they go deep sea diving to go look for the heart of the sea or whatever the fuck that jewel is called in the yeah, movie. I, I think it's called like the heart of the sea. But um actually now that you used to mention that, I remember like the making of stuff on that, being very, like, and then we rigged this thing up with cameras and we sent it to the bottom of the freaking ocean, and he was just very excited about that, and it was less about the movie? Oh, absolutely. Well, James Cameron, I have a theory, he can, um, he can only feel at peace, his soul only feels at rest when it's at the very bottom of the ocean. So he needs to do things like have private submarines that can travel to the deepest depths of the Marianas Trench. It's like, and oh, then, it's, and it's then like finally, the barometric pressure. Like he only feels okay just at the lowest point possible by man. Yeah, just however, but and it's like not even like it needs to be the very bottom of the ocean. It's just whatever the the limits of human technology are. <laughs> he needs yeah. to be at that. <laughs> That that, and then but, like for for him, he he reaches full equilibrium down there. For me, like when the seasons change, I just get all fucked up in a way that looks like allergies, but it's really my brain being like, we've had too much work done. We don't know how to handle this, man. No, yeah, absolutely. I feel like he probably when he gets to that depth, he find he looks like a a man having his first cigarette after a long stretch in jail. Just, uh... <laughs> I really like that, by the way. Like, I like that whole visual. So, anyway, the the reason why I'm bringing up Battle Angels is because in, in the anime world, there are, I want to say, the, there are a handful of properties that have been, like, bumping around the idea of having live-action adaptations. Yeah. One is, one was always Battle Angel, you know, like, that was always, like, it's coming out on Thursday. If it's not, I just went to a experience for craziness. Um, but another was Akira, which everybody says Akira is in production hell forever. And my thought is always, I'll believe it when it's being pumped into my eyeballs. Netflix, yeah. Netflix has weighed in on Cowboy Bebop and they've like option Cowboy Bebop for a series and once again I won't believe it until I click play and it pumps into my face. Although I want to I want to shout out a quick fan made um I'm sure people can find this online. 
Um, there was a great uh, young uh, African-American filmmaker who did a fan-made thing. I uh, saw hood, that. Hood Cowboy Bebop. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, saw so that. I just want to shout out that guy. Really pretty good. I don't know his at, but I'm sure people can figure it out relatively easily. I think if you um, type in Hood find, Cowboy Bebop, you'll find it, actually. Find, find the guy's at. Find the original creator. He deserves all the credit in the world because that was amazing. I loved it. Um, but the last one, or at least the last one that we're going to, that we're just going to talk about was Ghost in the Shell. Yeah. And now, Danny, this is the part where I need to ask you, because we're going to go through the plot of this movie. How much do you know about the property of Ghost in the Shell? So I, I know a little bit. I don't know a lot of it. And by that, I mean Ghost in the Shell, my experience with it. So I, I didn't, my family didn't have cable, as you know, until I was about 14. And by yeah. then I was a young hoodlum on the wild streets Would of suburban lose? New Jersey, running loose and wild latchkey kid status. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I would catch Ghost in the Shell every now and again, either at my house or at a friend's house uh, on MTV2. We're talking back in the early 2000s. Uh, it would be on MTV2's late night roster. Uh, they had, they had. So what, what, what flavor of Ghost in the Shell were you catching? That's my real question. That's my next question. Animated. Uh, no, no it, animated, obviously. But. Yeah, it had, it had clearly been produced in the late. I want to say late nineties, judging by animation style. Oh, kind like of mid grainy. to late nineties. Yeah. Uh, so you were probably catching bits and pieces of the mo- of the original movie. And for those who are listening to this who have not seen the original Ghost in the Shell movie, I, I talked about it on this podcast. I strongly encourage you to go see it. It is like... Yeah, I was probably catching the middle of it. Is it broken up into chapters by any chance? Because it, it would have, like, chapter title beginnings... That may have been some weird, fucked up shit they were doing with, um... That, that they were doing with, um... I'm gonna look up MTV Ghost in the Shell real yeah, quick. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Let's maybe find because out what the history there's a, of this There's is. a possibility to what you were seeing, and I'm not entirely sure. Um, because you might have been seeing the TV series. You might have been seeing parts of the TV series, which makes sense. I think I was seeing parts of the TV series. That makes more sense. To yeah, because there would there would have been like chapter markers and stuff for like yeah, episodes yeah, yeah. and shit. But yeah, so that's that's original, much more what I was seeing. The original film is like a foundation is a foundational text of the cyberpunk genre. Yeah, it, it, it's where the Matrix comes from. If anybody's listening, like, how did the Wachowski get this? Go watch Ghost in the Shell, and you'll be like. This explains at least 90% of the Wachowskis. Yeah, I mean, it, it definitely explains a lot of the visual stuff. I mean, there's other things like Neuromancer yeah. and stuff like that. William Gibson's Neuromancer that forms some of the philosophy as well, especially for, like, the uh, the computer aspect of the Matrix. But that also, like, Ghost in the Shell very seriously touches on that, uh, that whole thing. Um, but the... So... This is like, it's a really important film for film history, the the 
um, animated film from 19, I believe 1989. And it's been rumored to, being, to be being made forever. And forever long enough where people were always like, who, who would play the character of the Major? Or um, the character's actual name is Matoka Kusanagi. And so when this was announced... It was what people were like. No way! I, I, who like we wanted to see a cast list. We wanted to see like set shots, all of this stuff because um, just it's something that most otaku know. Just even even if you don't know it, you know what it looks like, and you're like, if it doesn't look like that or better, you're fucked. Yeah. Um, but the first, I'm going to say the first domino for this movie fell at the announcement of the cast list. Do you, do you know anything about the controversy around the cast list? Uh, yeah, fell? well, I mean, it's a, it's a big thing. I, I, this is, so this is actually very much so in my ball court. Um, yeah. because, you know, as you know, like not to, uh, pat myself on the back or anything but you know i'm a socially minded social justice minded let's say yeah uh individual and then also like we said earlier you know i love hollywood as a as an industry but that that love is tinted with a, a deep-seated uh antipathy and skepticism i would imagine and skepticism and uh general I love the product that Hollywood makes. I hate the way that it makes it. Um, it's a lot like uh, if you were a hot dog enthusiast right around the time that the book The Jungle was produced. Yeah, that makes sense. You know? Yeah. <laughs> like, I still... It's not going to stop me, but yuck. Like, I'm going to eat this hot dog, but not think a whole lot about it. <laughs> yeah, I'd rather not think about how many Polish thumbs are in this hot dog right now. You know? Covered that in history class in high school, everybody was like, "Wait, what? Seriously?" Yeah, that. I mean, it's it's wild because uh, it's. I love the quote that the author Upton Sinclair has about his own book, which is that like he meant to get at America's heart, meaning that he wanted people to like have sympathy for the poor workers who are the actual subject of the book, but that he hit them right in the stomach. Meaning that what ended up actually happening were consumer protections in the food industry because everyone was so yucked out. <laughs> yeah. That, uh, that they wanted their food to be cleaner. Which, like, I mean, still a net positive for humanity, but maybe not the original intention. Like, we're eating less thumb than a whole... So it's yeah, cool. Or there's just, it's just there's less, like, other animal body parts and stuff that's labeled as pork. That was more the result. Like, it's True. just, you know, there wasn't as much horse meat per pork ounce. <laughs> I, I, I'm laughing because I would just at Ikea. Well, the home who knows, of pork meatball. Well, if, um, you're getting them, if you're getting them meatballs, I say roll those dice. I, honestly, I usually don't. I, I think I've eaten the meatballs, like, once, if I'm honest. But, I've, I've eaten several full meals at Ikea, but I have only gotten the meatballs twice in my lifetime. <laughs> I've only sampled of that bald meat. Um, but, so, do, do you want to take people kind of through the controversy of what happened with Ghost in the Shell? 
Well, it, it, it begins and ends with, uh, with I would say, the casting of the major for the most part. I mean, I guess you could spill it over into the, the casting the whole thing, but the, the major controversy, the one that got all the headlines, was Scarlett Johansson as the major. Yep. Um, Scar- ScarJo playing an Asian character by all rights. Um, like, I, although I do want to say that, like, in the uh, animated TV series that I saw, uh, the character is pretty amb- ambiguous ethnically yeah, and, and the, in animation and... style. But I also do want to say um, I do think that more work could have been done to find a more uh, ambiguous person. Because Scarlett yeah. Johansson is a very well, white person. To give, um, so what was that? Um, he wrote, he wrote, um, we bought a zoo. Um, Ooh, uh, you know I do mo- not, you know, the movie I'm talking about with, um, Emma Stone, right? Yes. Yeah. That, that, so that I'm not, I think that happened the year before, but Emma Stone got like kind of rightfully shit all over for playing an Asian person in, um, that movie. It was like about Hawaii or some shit. Yeah, yeah. And it was uh, just playing like, a native Pacific Islander. That was that felt very Breakfast at Tiffany's e. When I was like, "Wait, what? Oh, okay." Yeah. Uh, but then this. So the person that everybody was pulling for to play the major, and I understand this because she was the person you could go to, it was an actress named Rinko Kikuchi. Yeah. And she's the, um, female lead in, uh, what's that? Damn, I'm bad at names today. Um, in Pacific Rim 1? Yeah. Um, but, so, the studio came out and they said, you know, we're doing our best to make the best movie we can and make it sell the best we can. And that was their reasoning for casting Scarlett Johansson in the lead role because they were like, Scarlett Johansson will sell tickets. And... But also, when I was looking at it from the outside, I... Based, I based her casting for this movie off of two separate things. Two separate movies, specifically. Off of that movie Lucy, and off of her performance as Black Widow. Because when you, like, on the surface level of the way um, Major Matoka Kusanagi, the main character, acts, it's like a blending of those two things. It's like, ruthless killer and, like, femme fatale super spy kind of like in a tall glass of barely any clothes on and so I I looked at it and I it made total sense to me that like if they were looking for a mega star to play this role they would go get her yeah, well, I think it, it comes back essentially to the the last part of what you said, where it's they need they needed a mega star to play the role, and uh, I think that it's a, a very like basically cowardly hedging of bets explains why 
she essentially got placed as the star of this movie because to me, uh, being a major studio, so uh, just real quick, it's uh, DreamWorks Pictures. Okay, so major Hollywood studio, yeah. huge, huge studio. I mean, they're they're the house that Shrek built. Yeah. You know, gosh darn it. The the, the um, house that Shrek keeps alive by most yeah. most cases actually. Right. Uh, but at, at anyway, at any rate, um, like. You want uh, the path of least resistance towards getting a return on your box office investment, which actually, looking at the budget of this movie, it's pretty low. Re- I'm actually surprised at that because they they have all this. So I have I have access to all the like special features and stuff, and they. Yeah go through how they created the city layer by layer in CG and how they, like, came up with all the insane, weird branding layer by layer. And it's a cool-ass thing. And all I'm like, it's like, they, like, paid a lot of people for this. Well, a lot of people are on the bill, I'm sure, but the total budget, $110 million. Wow. That, that's fairly low, actually. Which I guess is good because... Do you have box office num- numbers for this movie? Yeah, at all? It, made, it made money. It, it made, made money? money. Okay. One hundred and sixty-nine point eight million. That's that, a worldwide figure, and this is all off of Wikipedia, so okay. I'm sure um, figures is, may vary slightly, but you know, good enough for for a podcast between two cousins. Yeah, uh, but like, um, from what I heard at the time of release, opening box office was not good for this movie. I. That's probably the American domestic market, though. And uh, I think that's another big explanation for why uh, this movie is the way that it is. So Yeah, the... so also, I should bring this up. This is a co-pro... I'm pretty sure this is a co-production between a Chinese studio? Like, I saw a Chinese logo at the beginning of this movie. Uh, Arad Productions, A-R-A-D. I know nothing about them or on the bill. So the three things on Wikipedia are DreamWorks, Reliance Entertainment, which is an American company, and then Arad Productions, which has no link on Wikipedia. I'm pretty sure Arad is the it's a Chinese studio then. Um, because... I, oh, no. Oh, what? This is interesting. Your face uh, like lit up. <laughs> it's interesting because it seems sketchy as hell. Um, Avi Arad is an Israeli-American businessman who became the CEO of the company Toy Biz in the 1990s and soon after became wow. chief creative officer of Marvel Entertainment, a Marvel oh, director, no. and the chairman, CEO, and founder of Marvel Studios. Really? Yes. So he's deep in the mix on wow. this. Huh. I, I like. I would have had no freaking idea about that. That that also that does seem super sketchy. Like that path seems very strange. He does. Yeah, he seems very interesting as a human being. I'm gonna have to look deeper into this Avi Arad <laughs> character. Next my time off- I talk to you, you're gonna be like, you gotta hear about this dude. <laughs> I, you know, I don't want to say what I think may be going on with him, but I think he's part of a deeper web. And I'm, okay. I'm sure I'm going to get to the nexus of it. <laughs> um, Stay tuned, fans. But just the, So, the buzz around this movie got t- 
toxic real quick because of the Scarlett Johansson issue, and we all had, like, nightmares of Avatar The Last Airbender, like, fueling that, too. Um, but... The other thing about this movie is, so, at this point, I think we should go through the plot, and there'll be a reason why I asked you what your familiar era, how familiar you were with the Ghost in the Shell, like, franchise and property as a whole, because it's important to the plot of this movie. Okay. Well, I want to just also preface us going through the plot before we start doing that. I just want to say, let me just get my opinion out about this particular movie. Yes. Like... So, divorcing, like, and very limited knowledge, clearly, of the yeah. source material on my end. I've seen a couple episodes of the TV show. Yeah. And, like, while they were full episodes, I didn't watch them in any sort of a chronological order, you know. Yeah, no. So, they, they don't really need to be watched in a chronological order. No, like, and that's what's yeah. great about them. They're, like, very visually sumptuous little vignettes into this very cool cyberpunk world. That like has a uh, a figure who is part of a uh, has a larger support network of friends and comrades, but yeah. for the most part operates alone against a, a faceless evil organization. Very very compelling stuff when you're a, a young stoned guy uh, up at two o'clock in the morning. You, you got enough of that where I'm gonna let it slide too. <laughs> there you go. Um, so anyway. Uh, Divorcing all of my... So I had a, a somewhat of an affectionate feeling towards the property yeah, going okay. in, but not a whole lot of knowledge. Okay. Uh, with all that, I did not like this movie, yo. I didn't think you would, actually. Like, I, like, it was very not good. Right? I, Just I, no. I, so, let's start, let's start here. The bar okay. is not high. For live action anime adaptation. I think before this, and we're gonna talk about this movie at some point, I guarantee it, we got Speed Racer, and that's a nightmare that can be appreciated at least. That's like the Watowskis had a fucking dream, and they were gonna, like, th- that's like Battle Angel level, like, this is our dream, let us make this movie, we're sisters now. Yeah, we're deep in this. We, we like, got a whole this, thing going this, on. This movie was like... The, Ghost in the Shell as a property is important enough to pop culture that this movie was going to be made regardless. Yeah. I, but the way that they made this... From the way that they built the plot to the way that they filmed it to the way that they, like, created the set to the way that they formed the characters and, like, followed through on certain things to the characters, which we'll fucking get to. It's just like... Trivia grab bag time. And yeah. part, of the, part of the reason that you don't know that is because you haven't seen the original film and you haven't but you also haven't seen enough of the TV show like recently enough to make sense of it. So Yeah, no, and I feel like I 
I feel like out of the average American, if they have any interaction with Ghost in the Shell in their like background, I think I have the average level. Yeah, you probably do. Like, I I came out of that mo- I came out of this movie, which hilariously. So, I got a job. Oh, I was supposed to have a job all the way the fuck out in Brooklyn, like all the way like out in Brooklyn where the trains barely run. And they had you going out to Little Croatia, like, the like, famous like, neighborhood in Brooklyn, Little like, Croatia, at a, at a place called the Factory, which is run by Adidas. Like it's Adidas' secret creative facility. I was supposed to work on a thing there. I couldn't because nobody had their shit together. But it was it it was um it came out on March thirty first. So I was close enough to my birthday where I didn't give a shit and I was just like, Well, that fucked up, so I guess I'm going to see this movie in the nice theater in by Times Square. And so I did that. And then I, but coming out of that movie, I was like, how does anybody without a totality, without a totality of knowledge about Ghost in the Shell, the franchise, the whole thing, even parse that fucking thing? Oh my God. I would be really interested to find out how much of the backlash from the online community of, like, deeply knowledgeable fans uh, reacting, not just to the news about Scarlett Johansson's whitewashing, casting, whatever, you know, that controversy yeah, that, was. Yeah, that's its own but, thing, yeah. But how much of the fanboys demanding servicing was taken into account um, on the set of this movie? Because even though, I, like you said, I wasn't aware enough to pick up on all these, like, subtle references or whatever... It felt like the plot could never move anywhere and the characters could (laughs) never move anywhere because they had to, like... It's like uh, when a a video game puts you on rails. Yes, it it was exactly like that. It was like a button-mashing interlude that is like, quote-unquote, you know, scare quotes, gameplay, but it's really just you hitting X rhythmically... Through yep. a choreographed sequence of events. I, I, that is absolutely what it's like. So, it's like if they could have just saved a lot of money by making a PowerPoint presentations about the most important scenes from the show slash movie. Yeah, yeah, they, they totally could have. And the, but the thing about this is, is that Ghost, like, this movie was just accepted as okay by anime fans by me and ba- like we all came out of that thinking simultaneously that was fine but also what the fuck who's the like no, we're screwed normal people will never like us now they'll be like you were responsible for ghost in the shell that shit storm with scarlett johansson in it and so like, but the, you know what else blew yeah. me away? Uh, just real quick, just to, as a as a tag to your thing. So that is, I feel like the public perception of this movie, right? Yeah. Uh, I looked this up before we got on. Um, I need to bring it up now. Uh, Ghost in the Shell, RottenTomatoes.com. Let me look it up. Twenty seventeen movie. 
It has surprisingly high really? uh, Rotten Tomatoes rating. I, I've, I've got a 6.4 on IMDb. What's the Rotten Tomatoes rating? Let me look it up real quick. I'm looking Rotten. There we go. 43% uh, on the splat rating. 51% audience rating. Re- well, uh, A, that's the democracy of the internet. B... That is the democracy of the internet. That um, is very true. I, I always have a saying, like, if you can't get a four stars on Amazon, what the fuck are you doing? <laughs> oh. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Box Office for America is a tiny portion of the final gross, by the okay, way. Okay, yeah. So opening Box in... Office in America is 40,533,000. Yeah, that's like nothing for the Out movie. of a gross total of 169.8 million. It was a drop in the bucket over here. Okay, yeah. It was a real. Because I remember being like, well, that went horribly. We're never getting one of those again. Which is true. Because although, and I think so, um, I think this movie, let's, let's start getting into the plot real yeah, quick. Because yeah, uh, yeah, totally. let's, let's stop prolonging the inevitable because yes. we can get, more, <laughs> more is going to come out. I'm going I'm to have to pick this thing the fuck apart for you. I, I just know. So, uh, using Wikipedia as my guide, I feel like that's a good, a yeah, good rubric a, to help center us. Having just gone through the first half of this movie again, go for it. It is, it is a dystopian future in yeah. which robotics has advanced to the point to where human brains can be transplanted out of a body into a robotic carapace. I'm using crafted language here. Yeah. Uh, into a robotic carapace that is able to physically perform in the way that a robot would, you know, far beyond human ability. But it is governed by a fast-thinking, fast-moving human brain. So So that is the the synthesis that creates our main character, Major. But first things first. In the original property, I'm going to keep doing this because this is important, it's yeah. important to see how much this movie blows. Yeah. I, in the in the original property, they treat the cyborg bodies as if they were prosthetics. Like, medical-grade prosthetics. Yeah. And that that's how... They refer to them as prosthetic bodies. Like, if you're full... What they call a full prosthetic cyborg, that means you have no human parts left except for what they call a cyber brain, which is basically your brain re-encoded to computer chips. Okay, so that makes a lot more sense because right? <laughs> human brains are there's a lot of logical inconsistencies throughout this movie, which is what I'm gonna pick apart because I as we oh, have this movie must have made you furious. So many things. So many things. Human brains. Uh Alex, you're someone who has experience with this. Human brains, do they love to be meddled with and, and messed about with? There are, no, no. there are no adverse effects from just fiddling about in the have to be with the super fucking heads. careful. By the yeah, way, if anybody's not like, aware, yeah. I'm a brain cancer survivor. That's why he's asking me this. Yeah, I mean, I feel I, I felt like I was going to point it out, but like really, you know. <laughs> like he's, Danny's one of the few people who like has vivid memories of me in the turban after the... 
Yeah. You know, after they done cracked you open like an egg and yeah, fiddled about like- in there. Anywho, yeah, like that's that's number yeah. one. Like it doesn't make a whole lot of why, and especially like if if computers like robotics is a stepchild of computers. So if robotics is sufficiently advanced enough that you have fully seemingly real human android types that you're able to create, why wouldn't you just upload a person's consciousness onto and, and onto that- floppy? Just get a good old three and a half inch floppy and pop it into the back of the old Android there. Yeah, and and the original property like takes great care to be like the process of digitizing a human brain is very risky, and like the first five thousand pe- five hundred thousand times we tried this, people definitely experience what we call brain hardening, which would mean your brain turns into a rock. And That's cool. Die. Like the the show makes no bones about being like, like this is super dangerous. <laughs> it I'm took just us imagining like you know one of five hundred thousand doctors. So yeah, you like, say there's a chance, <laughs> right? Which, yeah. Anyway, which, like rooted in my idea of like the first the first five hundred thousand of any kind of special medical thing, I never want to be involved in because those people those people die hard. Yeah, so in the movie, it's uh, the person, uh, not the person, the corporation behind all this is uh, Hanka Robotics, which okay. I have a quick joke about, real quick. Okay. Uh, Hanka Hill Robotics recreate propane and propane accessory related robotics. That's really good. Hanka Hill. I'm, I'm okay with that. That's really good. I didn't even think about anyway, that. Just wanted to throw that out there. Um,. But anyway, so they, they're the ones who have made the shell, which is what they call the artificial body, into which they've uh, shoved uh, Major Myrakillion, Myrakillion? Major Myrakillion, which I'll get to why the whitewashing thing, like, is a fucking storm cloud yeah, over this movie by the I end of it, really, I promise. I was really surprised to find out that the protagonist of this film was related to the brewers of my favorite Irish red ale. <laughs> yeah. Killian's Irish red ale, y'all. This is my my ad that they snuck into Ghost in the Shell. You, you barely see me for a second, but I'm one of the holograms. I have a little tray with a Killian's Irish Red on it, and it's so the, a before, little ring. Before we go any further, because we're already, like, we're, like, maybe five minutes in at this point, it's like, she's yeah. rolling, she's rolling on the um, table. What do you think about the look of this movie? So, there are some, like, here's the thing. I am, uh, as I'm sure the audience can already tell, you know, I, I'm as much of a nerd as anybody else. I'm just a slightly different type of nerd yeah. from Alex. Uh, I love comic books. I love movies. I love media in general. Um, there are a lot of things that I liked about the visuals in this movie, like any science fiction movie that shows yeah. a dystopian urban future, especially... I always like to look out for, like, little details. My favorite movie of all time um, is actually a dystopian urban um, scenescape. And uh, it's a movie called Brazil by Terry Gilliam, the guy who did all the animation for Monty Python. Really? Uh, I've never seen that. I don't know why. 
We're going to have to watch it together someday. Yeah. It's so cool. Um, it's got uh, Robert De Niro as a, as a future anarchist plumber. Okay, you've already sold me. I, I'm in. Let's do it. That's all. That's all anybody. <laughs> like, needs to know all about I that really movie. need to know. Let, let's go. He's got a star cameo in that movie. It's so good. Anyway, um, I get in. I get out. Anyway, anybody who's seen the movie will know that. Um, anyway, uh, but yeah. So like, I, I there are things about this movie that I did like. I dislike the movie as a whole, but visually. Um, it had a lot of things going for it, but I think its biggest asset was also its biggest downfall in the sense that this movie was shot in New Zealand almost entirely on green screen. And yeah, you can do a lot with green screen when there's so much of it on camera for so much of the movie, yeah. when so much it, of the environment is artificial. It feels like ultra flat in a way that's not... That's exactly. And when it's not stylized, it's just sad. You hit the nail on the head. There are like a lot of really cool things. Like I loved the hologram idea, which was something that they took from the TV show and movie that yeah. I that I recognized. That I loved the the look of a lot of that stuff. Um, but I think that this movie really suffered from a case of they built <clears throat> facades at the ground level that were very clearly just um, they do these rough geometric outlines of architectural facades on the bottom level. And then oh they, yeah. And then they, they green it all so they yeah. can change it. Yeah. This movie would have been improved so much for not a lot of money. I want that to also be kept in mind. It wouldn't have cost them that much to make more real stuff. <laughs> to make more real stuff. And I don't mean real in the sense that you have to build a whole fucking city or anything, but like some very basic scenery flats mixed in with the green screen, which you can do. I've seen it done. Like you, yeah, you it, it, it totally, it it's totally doable. It's just, and it would not, <sighs> like I said. Well, like, um, I, at this point, I want to bring up Rupert Sanders. Like I, I'm, I've got the IMDb page open. You click on his name. And he's got, like, four fucking things to his name. Hey, he looks... I, I don't usually cast judgments on people like this. He kind of looks like a douche novel in his headshot. But he's got... Um, yeah, I, I would say he looks like very average Hollywood type. You know. Um, he's got Snow Director, White the Huntsman. Yep, I was going to say, my favorite credit on his IMDb. <laughs> and then he's got... Ghost in the Shell, this movie, and two, like, an untitled DEA project, which I don't know what that means, you probably do, and an untitled Rupert Sanders slash, what is this, Rupert Sanders sci-fi project? So he, from what I can tell from his Wikipedia, to help flesh this out a little bit, he came from a commercial world background. Yeah, yeah. he directed a television advertisement for The Life, which is uh, We Are ODST, which was a Halo 3 thing. It was yeah. like an extended universe Halo 3 um, video project, uh, which won him two Golden Lions at Cannes. Um, okay. So two very prestigious film festival awards. Um, <clears throat> their International Advertising Festival Awards, at least. Um I mean, I'm sure it's still a big deal. It's like not the the Palm d'Or or anything, but it means something. 
Um, yeah. So that's probably what got him Snow White and the Huntsman. Because it's a, you know, that's a fantasy project. And uh, video games are fantasy, according to Hollywood. That's Hollywood logic right there. Um, so uh, then, yeah, I mean, I guess the, I, I guess, dude. It just this guy had done a lot of stuff that uses. Yeah. Okay. So I I was just looking something up. Snow White and the Huntsman did make money. It made it money. Did? Okay. It made a, a decent amount of money. More okay. money than this, in fact. Um, I don't think that's hard for the record, but okay. It's not. It's not that hard. Um, 170 million was the budget on Snow White and the Huntsman. So a slightly bigger budget than this. They turned around uh, about 400 mil. Okay. Uh, to date. Uh, so I'm sure that includes oh, okay, yeah. sales and all that. So, but that's still a, a good chunk of change. Yeah, that's still. Um, that's that's doubling the investment and then some. You know. Yeah. Um. So he didn't fuck up the money on his first movie, and that gets you a lot of good grace in Hollywood, um, as far as the studio system goes and who gets projects. I bet you he was really enthusiastic about this because there. Well, this, well, it, there's there's a there's a slavish devotion about the whole thing. Yeah, I, well, there's a slavish devotion about the whole thing, and like it, it, it makes. I didn't know exactly how little he'd done, but seeing that he had such a small, he has such a small portfolio of notable work, it, it makes sense that somebody who doesn't have much time in f- floating around would hear, like, w- would get approached to be. Like, do you want to direct Ghost in the Shell? And he would remember, like you remember, like sitting stoned in film school, watching that movie, and seeing this like, very cool thing. Fuck yes. Yeah. And also, but also the interesting thing is based on the stuff that, like the visuals you get in this movie, it's like a clip show of the greatest hits of. Ghost in the Shell. Visual set pieces Ghost from the, the show. Ghost in the Shell complex. Um, and even the comics. Like, there's stuff from the comics in this thing. And that's wild. And I'm just like... So, you, you've seen all these things in, like, a not... In, like, a not incidental way. If... Even if the only thing I'd ever seen was a was Ghost in a Shell, I would at least know how to put together a two-hour movie because I would have good storytelling examples from Ghost in the Shell. Yeah, it it's very strange to me because, like, at, like from my experience level with it, like watching the animated show. Like, that also, like, aspects of that were also incomprehensible to me, but it mattered much less. Yes. You know what I mean? This yes, just felt totally. like something that had been not only poorly translated, but I could tell that it was doing the source, it was like letting the source material down in the sense that it shouldn't matter so much that, like, Everything that was off, so many things were off that the little things were off bothered me as much as the big things. Yeah. And in this, you would rather have one or two big things that bother you about it. Yeah. So, like, that seemed like co- reasonable compromises than have everything seem compromised and just be very bland and flat. 
So this, this is a is, flavorless soda. This yeah. is a La Quava movie. <laughs> yeah. This is totally a La Quava movie. Get a blank can. Yeah. Um, this is a so, Pumplemousse La Quava movie. This is and what that's I will my review. You know that opening sequence where you see the body floating through the water and like getting created? Yes. That 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 is a, like an the iconic opening of the actual animated. That's like a film. shot. That's a shot for shot. That's a shot for shot recreation. Yeah. And it's like, I, like when I was watching it on like the big screen, I'm like, oh, I might be here for this. Yeah. And then immediately I was like, no, it does. No, it not. does have a, it has very James Bond vibes. I did want to say one thing about the opening. Um, yeah. When she gets submerged in red liquid, I, I got a very like kind of a creeping feeling in my stomach. Like, Oh no, is the Kool-Aid man going to show up? <laughs> oh no. Because the whole thing in um, the original is white and green. <laughs> like the colors were, not, that we're I not, remember. What? Oh, well, that sequence is like, every once in a while, you'll just run into it in a way that's... Like, if like why, showing, I, why like, is this here? I'm, I'm, I'm okay with it, but why is this here? It's like if you see both the biography and the um, making of the band of Ghost in the Shell, you're yeah. going to see quips of that in both. Yeah, totally. Yeah. Um... And to be fair, Ghost in the Shell does have a habit of, like, there's certain visual things that basically are, like, required by Ghost in the Shell law to happen, one like, in every series. And we'll get to those in a second. But so okay, at this let's point, keep going with the, uh, with the plot a little bit. So at so this point we have... Go ahead. Uh, Major is part of a anti-terrorist bureau, Section 9, which is... Somehow subsidiary to both the government and to Hanka Robot. This relationship was very confusing to me. Like, okay, you want you want me to explain this? It won't take that long. Maybe a little bit. Yeah, just real quick. Let's run through this. Um, Section Nine is technically a special division of the of Japan of the Japanese police force and the Japanese. Um, self-defense force, like, at the same time. And they are formed to deal with, like, domestic terrorist shit that the, like, normal police and bureaucrats can't get their shit together fast enough to just deal with. That's what they actually are. In this fucking thing, they're basically, like, a military PMC thing that's also, that's contracted with the government first and then with Hanka, because Hanka makes tech and weapons. Yeah, it's kind of like the U.S. Army brought to you by Raytheon. Exactly. Anyway, so, uh, gross. Uh, anyway. <laughs> right. Um, so, she's working alongside her good buddies, uh, Batu and Tagusa. And uh, they work under Chief Daisuke Ar- Aramaki. Which Who is fuck? God damn it! Mate, I'm sorry. I'm doing my best here, bud. <laughs> no, no, no. Like, a, a, your pronunciations are g- like good, but 
do you know who, do you know who played Daisuke Aramaki? Uh, the whitest lady I ever seen. White the whitest? No, oh, that's not that's not Chief Aramaki. Aramaki is the is the guy who only speaks Japanese. Oh, that guy. Yeah, no, no, no. Sorry. He's a really, really famous Japanese character actor. I I know I knew him by face. I do not know the man. His name, name is um Takeshi something. But most people just know him as Beat Takeshi, and there's a reason he's the best part of this movie, and that's because he's the best part of every fucking movie he's in in every language. <laughs> he has he has the best one-liner in the whole movie by far. He has the best action guy thing that he says, which is is towards the very end. But I'll I'll reveal what he says, which is um, you don't send a mouse to kill a fox. Yeah, that's the. Best fucking like, line in this movie. Yes, Daddy, we stand a silver fox. Yes. <laughs> but um, anyway, I, I, it infuriates me that they have all the other characters speaking English, and then he yeah, what, speaks fucking Japanese. They're like also like okay, so like during the uh, so now let's get to this opening scene. Yeah. So there's a big business meeting for Hanka. Uh, Hanka Hill Robotics. Yeah. Um, and the, like, there's a uh, ge- a robotic murder geisha who's on her way in. But as they're on her way in, the guy is like talking about how like he plays a, an audio recording of his little girl, and he's like, you know, my daughter learned French in the time that it took her to learn that song, and she's only four years old or whatever. So we're supposed to take it that like this super clever strategist, T- Chief Daisuke, is such like a fucking know nothing that he can't even like learn English and shit when people are like future modding themselves to the also, human how, Google not, Translate. Not how any of this worked, motherfucker. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, no. Anyway. Also, don't mod your babies. I'm, I'm anti-baby modding. So, I, don't mod your babies, <clears throat> but we'll get to like the only acceptable baby modding that's allowed later, I promise, because there is something significant, which this movie also fucks up. God damn it. But anyway, so we have a, a robo-geisha that comes in, and it uh, it kills a bunch of people, um, including um, this uh, African... I, I guess they're just, like, giving up like on standard... having Africa be different countries. <laughs> Because they're just like, the African business guys are here. <laughs> yeah, they are. Like, they're just, just like the standard, guy. weird future Africa people. Like, It's just a guy doing, like, Nigerian dad voice. <laughs> yeah. He's like, but what about humanity? Like, sorry, that, if that was offensive that, to that, anyone. That but, is yeah. pretty close, actually. I was, that, that was a loving, that was a, an imitation done out of respect. And, uh... But yeah, so but like they really made him a very two-dimensional character, and like he's a bit, uh, throwaway, but that, which is a bummer, because um, they did have some. You do see that some of the African business guys have uh, some modding going on, yeah. which like you know I liked seeing. Like the the here's a prime example: those mods on the business guys, yeah, uh, all physical makeup. They look great. They right. look very. They look very futuristic and weird, and it's like, huh, oh, look at this cool world. Let me take a deeper peek. Like, like that's And that's also another great example of something that should have been done a lot more in this movie is there is a higher level 
of shit that you need to explain to flesh out the world that you haven't explained. And you're so busy explaining these other tiny aspects of this world that don't matter at all unless you're an obsessive fan. Yeah, totally. Um, so at this point, I, I'm going to take over for a little bit here because it's like a beat-by-beat thing I want to make sure it gets yeah. in here. Uh, at the, also, it's, at the same time, it's a robo-geisha. Is, she's not quite sneaking in. She's supposed to be there. Well, yeah, it's it's she is snuck in there as a Trojan horse of sorts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, the major Scarlett Johansson's character is like on top of the building, surveilling the building with like techno goggles, basically. And then, and this is an important beat. This is an important like Ghost in the Shell aesthetic moment. She jumps off the building go- and goes invisible when she senses that something, when she thinks something's gonna go wrong. And that's when Yakuza weirdos show up, shoot everybody, and then the geishas freak out and, like, pop into spider mode and kidnap all the, like, important people, including the head of Hanka. And this is, it's important that the head of Hanka is here and having this meeting. And then Scarlett Johansson bursts in, and she's in this, like, nude bodysuit. Which is an iconic outfit thing from the show. No, it's, it's a workaround. The, oh, okay. the outfit, it's just her fucking naked. Yeah. Like, it, she's just supposed to be naked. Like, and it's supposed to be recognizably naked. It's not supposed to be like, I'm wearing a Zentai body sock. Yeah. But what what bothers me here is, and there's an interview with Scarlett Johansson where she's like, I love this character. She's such a strong, she's such a strong female, like, icon. And she's right. But Scarlett Johansson in this bodysuit is like, so small and meek feeling it was kind of stunning well i think uh i think in a larger part that's the fault also of the writing because a big thing that i wanted to get back to about the film is that uh the character of major um is the worst sort of uh protagonist which is that um your protagonist can complain about uh stuff that happens to them but they have to actively be doing something to solve their problems while they're complaining. I, that's a uh, big fuck up on their part because the actual character is like she doesn't complain. She she just fucking fixes shit before anybody knew what was going on. Yeah, so like the whole time it just feels like things just happen to her and she's not like a proactive uh element in her own conflict, which is just, like, really bothersome throughout the whole movie, which, like, okay. So, uh, there's, like, the, the geisha that was hacked at during the attack that then went psycho and attacked the, uh, the group at the business meeting. Yeah. Um, they figured out it was hacked by someone known as Kuze, uh, after Killian does a dive, yeah. a deep dive into the psyche of the robot. Um... There is a one part of this that I wanted to comment on really quickly where uh, she says something to uh, Batu, I believe it is, is the guy, Bato, excuse yeah. me, so Bato, 
um, she says something to him where it's like, why are you the one that's sweating? And I really wanted Bado to say back, because you're a fucking robot. <laughs> See, and so. also, like, the, the best, like, interpersonal relationship in this movie is between Bato and the Major. Like, that's close to what they're actually like. Except, imagine if Bato is, like, a I'm gonna dad... I'm going to make an argument and say that the best relationship in this whole movie was between Bato and those stray dogs. Okay, really quick. Really, I promise this will be quick. <laughs> Mamoru Oshii is obsessed with Basset Hound, and so that means that... In every single property he makes, including Ghost in the Shell, there is, like, basset hounds? And that's why those dogs are yeah. there? But also, I'm very into that. That's in a very, second, like, 40-year-old middle lady thing to be into. <laughs> right. The second movie in the second Ghost in the Shell movie that came, like, a full fucking ten years after the original, at least, came out, like, the one that... It, it's known for it came out when we were born. The one, the second one came out when we were in high school, if that yeah. makes any sense. Yeah, and that makes sense. In that movie, Bato had just become a weirdo basset hound lover, and he has one at his apartment, and it's just real lonely all the time. So that's what the stray dog thing is about. That's great. Continue. Uh, anywho, so... um. They basically, they trace the hacker back to this Yakuza nightclub. Uh, they sneak in. Here's one of my big things. So, and maybe this is a, more of a thing that you could give me background on. Yeah. So, hypothetically, Major has the ability to sometimes go invisible? It's supposed to be built in. Like, it, 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 it's called thermoptic camouflage. And it's like... It, in the in the show, basically everybody except for the character, um, except for Togusa, the got the the other Japanese guy in this movie, yeah, is full. It's what's called full cyborg, which means their body is entirely cyber, is entirely prosthetic, and also owned by the government, which is interesting, and has the ability to like vanish like that, and that's called um, thermoptic camouflage. Can everybody pick you up while you're under thermoptic camouflage, or is it the idea that most people cannot? Most people cannot. Okay, so here's my thing. Okay. (laughs) If you need to, let's say, sneak into a place with some type of low-level security, like, say, a nightclub, Key point. <laughs> Why wouldn't you just use your thermo-optic camouflage that I just learned the name of just now <laughs> to I don't in- fucking know. I just don't. yourself I just fucking don't. <laughs> with some weapons on you would be my th- would be my strategy thing. I'm no military expert, but I would imagine having a weapon on you is more helpful and beneficial to your plan of attacking an underground nightclub than to not have your weapons on you and to also let them know that hi, I'm in the building. <laughs> right? All all, all valid points. 
mean, I'm no Green Beret, but you know. Yeah, that that is that is. Oh God damn it! Anyhow, I like this movie less the more we talk about it. Um. So uh, there's shit gets fucked up. Um. Major is uh chained to a stripper pole because she is bad at planning and is punished for being bad at planning. Um, by getting a cattle prod stuck in her back um, to remind her why she should just go invisible next time. Um, <laughs> and uh, they're trying to figure out what exactly she's trying to do there because they don't really, I guess, put one and one together that their shadowy boss is probably why people are sneaking into the, the club. Oh, Also, we should mention at this time, her partner... Who could have just gone in at the same time with her, even if they were terrible at planning? It's yeah. just cruising the fucking bar. Maybe don't like just that, have your that, your backup just like he grab apparently a frequents. He, I, I didn't remember this. He apparently I mean, frequents that bar. Yeah. Also, like great undercover. <laughs> <laughs> Right. It would be great if, Holy like, fuck. as they're, like, trying to get Holy into fuck. the club, like, they're walking down the street, and, like, more and more people who also frequent that club, like, they have apartments in the area and stuff, just recognize him, and they're like, hey, Bato! Hey, it's Bato, the mayor of the club district! What are you doing here, good old chum? Like, you know, just, like, that would be amazing. That would be if would I had be weirdly this above this movie either. If I had to make this movie in this way, where it was just a bunch of random set pieces, that would be the movie I would make. But anyway, um, so, like, it, it all gets fucked up. Um, uh, Major, luckily, uh, is able to escape being trapped, but not before Bato gets his fucking eyes blown out of his head um, by a bomb uh, in the bar. Okay. C- continue. I'll, I'll get to that later. Yeah, um, Cutter, Cutter, her, her mom boss, yeah, Cutter. Yeah, C- Cutter, her mom boss. Her, um, her, 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 I'm gonna call her her mechanic, basically. Yeah. That's important um, later. Is just, like, super mad, um, about the whole thing, because it was against regulations, and you're a loose cannon, Major. I want your gun and your badge on my desk ASAP, essentially. And, um, this, th- at this point, is where we get the only aesthetic device, the only, like, visual that this movie came up with whole cloth, which I think is interesting, and that's her body getting, like, scanned, rescanned line by line as she gets repaired. Like, that, that's not, that's not anywhere else in... Ghost in the Shell canon. Well, so well, I'm I'm glad someone had fun on this movie. Whoever came up with that, right? Because none of the because none of the rest of us did. This is why and, we can't have nice things. Yeah. Um, um, anyway, also, but that I, was I will say that was a nice effect, and it was a good it was a good visual thing. And like, yeah, yes, I want to. I'm like, I made a joke about it, but also that was good work. Whoever yeah, did it, congrats. That, that, that good job. Whatever. I hope I hope that's again. still on your reel. I hope yeah. that's still on your reel and you're getting work off that. Um, but anyway, so uh, while they're doing that, Bato also gets his uh, new cybernetic eyes. He gets some cool jeweler's loops okay. for when he needs to know how many carrots a young lady's engagement ring has. 
Okay. So. Uh, just real quick, uh, can we take a quick two-second break? I just want to grab something to drink out of my fridge because uh, yeah, I'm, I'm getting dry mouth. Um, let me I'm, – I'm actually going to get something to drink too. Okay, so we just got back from getting a, like, a drink break, basically. But, um, so here's what I wanted to explain about the eyes. Yeah, The please. eyes are significant because Bato was, before he joined Section 9 in the actual franchise of Ghost and Shell, he was an army ranger from a totally different country. Yeah. And... But standard issue for army rangers, actually I think he's Japanese, but standard issue is those eyes. Yeah. And so when you see somebody with those eyes, it's significant, like, in worlds. You're like, oh shit, that's an army ranger, stay the fuck out of their way. Yeah. Uh, but also what I wanted to bring up about this, let me turn my mic down, um, about this moment is the core fail about this about this movie that it like almost gets right but doesn't and that is they could have totally gone to brands and been like do you want to be like because they could have gone suddenly and been like do you want your logo on this dude's eyes in this movie like yeah. um, imagine if those eyes were tiny sony camera lenses yeah how fucking or- cool would that be I mean, like, also, like, there's other there's other stuff they could have done um, to get more money into the movie. But then there's also little things that wouldn't have cost that much. It wouldn't have, like... Like, so the character of Bato, I really just want to real quick... He suffers from one of my uh, favorite, least favorite um, things in a bad action movie, which is, um, like, Eastern European um, characters who are incomprehensible, and yet, for some reason, none of the producers think to get someone else to ADR over their lines. Where it's like, yeah. every every time this actor says the word major, it feels like there's an umlaut put over one of the different letters in the middle. Every time. Major. Ma- major. Ma- major. Yeah. Ma- major. 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 Like that. And it's telling that he's, like the least compromised character in this movie. I could tell, and it still was, it like didn't do anything for him either. Anyway, um, so like he has the new eyeballs. Um, so basically, uh, they're trying to track down uh, Hanka's consultant, Dr. Dolan. Um, yeah. Kuze, the hacker, is now trying to track down her team. Yeah. Um, he does it by uh, taking control of two sanitation workers, which this is another loop, like, plot problem. Okay, so uh, you take over the sanitation workers so you can get them to ram their garbage truck into her car. Great. Good plan. This is, like, actually really good super villain shit. This Solid is very plan. scary. I'll... Fuck, I'll destroy this for you after you're Where... done, but... Where do garbage men... Get small Uzi like submachine guns because like okay. that's just not standard issue kit for a gu- <laughs> what what, what like... fucked up super future is there where garbage <laughs> men need fucking Uzis? What, okay. Like, what drive bys are garbage men doing? Okay, how much of this do you want me to explain to you? Because there's a version I mean, of it where I 
Why oh, hit? Would be great. Why but hit like, the also, cliff notes? you shouldn't have to explain this shit to me. If you have to explain why they have a machine gun in their garbage truck, yeah, then I do. you haven't done your job in storage. I'm um, sorry. But the version where I give you the cliff notes, where I just like give you like a couple beats and you can fill in the rest, but the version where I basically take you like a whole seat, two scenes of the fucking original movie, which one do you want? Just give me the cliff notes. Okay, so basically, the garbage, the point at which the garbage men are existing without the machine gun. And the point at which they exist with the machine gun are totally separate characters. Wow. Great. <laughs> the, the, a Fantastic. Missing, there's like a missing third dude there who has the machine gun. And mm. so the garbage man who has the machine gun has it's, it's like also that third character in the original like sequence, full sequence that ends with that really cool fucking fight we're getting to. It just was so jarring because, yeah. like, the garbage truck is already a very deadly weapon. Like, let's say they survive the attack. You still have a whole-ass whole garbage truck you can drive at the people. <laughs> true. Also, the... The, like, ramming into a government official never fucking happened in the original movie. So, like, that's also, like... Alright, yeah, it's just, I'm annoyed by this whole thing already. <laughs> so... Um, <clears throat> anyway. So, uh... So, now, uh... They, uh, Bato kills one of the garbage men. Killian subdues the other one. Um, they're interrogating him, and, uh, basically... Um, he's used as a speaker box for Kuze, the villain. That, um, that's fairly accurate. Like, that's kind of accurate. We'll say that's kind of accurate. Well, I, I want to say that the hacking of minds, like, that is something that that's I recognize. A, that's a thing that totally that, happened. That is a plot point, I but remember. It's less, uh, it's less like I'm hacking into you and using you as a walkie-talkie. It's more I hack into you and replace your whole memory bank with a different memory bank. That yeah, that does make sense. You put it in a different set of experiences also, into a body. Fuck! The, the character shift happened in reverse at that point because that third character, it just, it just like a help with Ope at the end of the like Water Street fight that they have. And then they're interrogating the garbage man separately. Yeah, no. So, like, so that is, is like just a like they're interrogating the hacker guy through the garbage man in this. Pretty much is yeah. is basically what's going on. Anyway, um, so like then uh, the hacker finally um, forces the garbage man to commit suicide, um, but they trace the hack. Uh, you know, the team discovers a whole bunch of humans. Can, can, we, uh, just, can, we, can we hold on the garbage man suicide thing and how fucking yeah. brutal that is? That is rough, because, like, he it's was just... like, holy shit! Well, it's also kind of rough when you think about Bato just icing the one, like, dead to rights, where it's just like, ah, oh, couldn't you just put handcuffs on him, my guy? Like, Yeah, like, yeah, come on, dude. Yeah, um, we're just like, we're gonna murder people because they got hacked? That seems a little cruel. And, and granted, 
So I'm going to explain a little bit here. It's, it's that hanging scene, because the guy was just basically like, does the chair kick move and hang themselves, uh, is, is rough by the standards of someone who saw the, that scene originally, which is where Bato and um, uh, the other um, character, the, uh, the other fully human character, say, basically tell one of the garbage men that his entire family doesn't fucking exist and that he lives alone with, I shit you not, a Basset Hound. That's the Basset Hound entry in that movie. Yeah, anyway. Which um, is, like, so depressing. So, uh, basically, uh, Killian gets captured when they get to the secret location where they had discovered a bunch of uh, human brains basically linked together to make some kind of a Wi-Fi antenna together, um, yeah, essentially. That's, that's a um, thing. Move on. Anywho, um, Killian gets captured and Kuze reveals that he, like her, is a Hanka test subject. In fact, he's a failed one that they tried to throw out in the garbage um, without removing his uh, D battery from the back. So he's still walking <laughs> around. Yeah. So... I'm going to have to explain Kuze at some point, but I'm not going to do it before the end of the movie because that will ruin this whole fucking thing. Well, we don't have that much... Me. There's not that much more movie to yeah. get through. Um, basically, that kicks off Killian uh, Major having a whole search for her real mom um, of her, like, human body and yeah. stuff like that. Her real mom is Japanese, which confuses us all. Um, then, and also slightly insults us all. Yeah, in a way that's like, motherfucker, you knew. You knew then, what you were doing. Um, basically, uh, her and Kuze meet up again. They recall their past lives together as anti-augmentation radicals, um, which is like their actual story. Like the so original I, memories in, in so Major were. Did you read? Did you read that them radicals? I read that as just this comp. This military organization shows up in like uh, so it was who really knows where kind of, and just starts fucking taking people. It it like um it is not it you have to read into it with context clues. There's some things that her mom says. Um, there's some things in the background of the scene that they're remembering that kind of point to them being uh, protesters of some, like, activists of some shape or form. It's okay, not yeah. super clear. Like, especially when her mom is talking about how brave she was all the time, like, willing to stand up to stuff. Yeah. Like, um, that's really kind of what I took away from that. But anyway, so then that leads um, to them kind of bucking against Section 9, um, and it leads to this really kind of... Um, the last part of the movie, the thing that I took away from it was that uh, the big uh, enemy in this movie is the spider tank and that you need to be terrified of it, except not really because it's really easy to beat and watch us do it in like 30 seconds flat. So, you know the part where she's like pulling the top of the tank? Yeah. And you see like the back muscles and the arm muscles and you see her tear her own arms off? Yeah. That is, like, in every single Ghost in the Shell thing ever. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Well, it's, you know, 
Uh, it comes off super boring in this one. It, it really does. Like, because at that, at that point in the movie, even, like, someone like me is just like, okay, we're at the point. There's the giant spider tank with the gun. Let's get to the arm tear and chop, chop. Fuck. And yeah. so... I'm gonna have to explain fucking Kuze. Uh, but also, but also, the major. So, in the original, in the TV show you saw is where they answered it because they didn't have enough time in the movie. That at some point this movie flips from being parts of the movie and the TV show to just being like ninety percent TV show, and Kuze. In the original show, is a childhood friend character of the major. Okay. She met in a hospital because her parents died. At a, her parents died horrifically in a plane crash in which everyone was killed except for her in the womb. So the major, major Makoto Kusanagi who we now know Major Mary Killian as, which bullshit, um, is... Which, in, in, this, by the way, I want to throw this out there. This, that makes a lot more sense for the character because otherwise you face the same problem you do in this movie of uh, the RoboCop effect. Yeah. Where the memories of the test subject brain are too strong and too ingrained and they prevent the proper level of divorced from the worldness that you need to be the ultimate killing machine. Yes. <laughs> but, so, Makoto was one of the first, like, Makoto and this other, and the, um, and Kuze were two of the first fully cyberized children in, like, the modern age. Yeah. And there's this, like, there's a, I can point people to the episode. Um, I'll find Which, it, I'll put it in show notes. That is the backstory, and it explains all of this. And it's, like, so sweet and touching and has everything to do with the main antagonist of the second season of the TV show. And they took that character, Kuze, and they mashed him together with a character referred to as the Puppet Master, who is of rogue AI from the very first movie. Yeah. And it's just like, what the fucking fuck? I you think I figured ju- out, God I, damn. I, th- I think I figured out one of my biggest problems with this whole uh, movie and why it shouldn't have been made, period, in my opinion. The world, the world would honestly be a net better place if it hadn't been made um uh here's here's what i think my biggest distaste for it is and i think that um it's not a particularly original idea but this movie is a xerox of a xerox of a xerox of a xerox you have what i'm sure is if you understand japanese i'm sure if you go back to the original source material there's a lot more uh, like cultural reference and like oh, ideas should, that are thrown around you subtly. Don't need, you don't need to know Japanese to enjoy any of Ghost in the Shell. It's all been translated like impeccably. 
Okay, well, even I was I was giving like a, a margin of error for that, yeah. but like even so, like even with the great translations, like I still think that culturally there's some things that just don't. If it's translation, there's some things that can't one to one. Actually, I take that back. I should be responsible and say, in the first movie, there are some translation things that are mostly because it was late '80s, early '90s translation and. America going America kind of bullshit, but yeah, yeah, you're right. but it's really good. Anyway, long story short, um, this is, I think the, it's a Western director interpreting that Western translation of Eastern source material, and like not only that, it's someone who I think maybe wasn't scared enough to put enough of his own voice into it to make it something interesting. Yes. Because I, I think I if you're totally gonna do, that. if you're gonna do an interpretation, and you're gonna do, because anything that this guy was gonna do with this whitewashed cast that was probably a compromise to keep the producers happy uh, in the early stages and and make them confident they would get a return on their investment, um, all this other like sort of compromise, he should have had the backbone to say, you know what, I'm gonna take this source material and I'm not just gonna. I'm going to put in a couple of nods to the fans. It's a fucking comic book movie. you got to do something that yeah. is a nod to the fans. But your movie can take the source material and maybe not elevate it, but put it on the same plane in a different way. Yeah. And this movie just fails to do that in any... It, it wastes all of its time making these epic set pieces that are like... Essentially, they're the visual version of the Chris Farley character from SNL, where like it's like him talking to Paul McCartney, being like, "Remember that time that you did uh, Sergeant Pepper's totally that. Totally that. Hearts Club Band? Remember that? That was great. Remember that? That was great. Like, and it's like, yeah, but that isn't. You aren't doing anything great. Like, you're just reminding us. Yeah, but that that is a huge part. I mean, this. This movie faltered because it has got a lot of style, but that. So I wanna. I wanna break down one specific, like, cut from this movie, just yeah. to de- just to demonstrate what you're talking about, and that is there's a moment where it's like a fucking second where. The major is sitting in her apartment, and she's supposed to be in front of this window that you're supposed to see the endless sprawl of city behind you. Yeah. And, but behind, like, just to the side of her. And in the original movie, that scene conveys this, that same kind of loneliness, but it has such beauty and, like, air to it, and the character of the major doesn't really care that she's alone because she's never alone, really. And it has this noir quality to it that the setting adds to. And in this movie, because of the green screen effect, because of the, like, weird cosplayness of the costuming and of like straight up they put Scarlett Johansson in a wig from 7th Avenue 
and just like threw her on screen for most of this movie. Like that, she's like wearing she's wearing a wig. Yeah, and just all of that makes it seem like this would be amazing if I saw it at like a college photo exhibition, but like on a big screen. Even I was like, that's not great. I know why it's here, but it's not great. And really, that's like the byline of this movie. I know why it's here, but it's not great. No. (laughs) And it's... Just the whole thing is... It's disappointing because it's... And I I really encourage you, as somebody who studied film, to go watch the original movie. You can find it any number of places. And I definitely want to now to like look back on the source material and really just see how and, how bo- poor of a job they did because this was just a bad. You're gonna see the movie and you're gonna be like, "Oh fuck!" It, it was, it was even right there. Like, the whole time I was thinking, it doesn't even feel like if I knew more about this, like I would like it any better. you have to know if you knew more about it, you wouldn't. But if you like like me grew up watching this stuff and like absorbing it all all the time, you would at least appreciate it as like an aesthetic exercise of like I want I wanna see the the reservoir fight scene in real life. Click, I can watch that now, I'm good. Yeah. And it just just the whole thing. And it's a shame a because they, they could have, like, if this, if they had, if they just shot for shot adapted the first movie, and you're gonna watch the first movie and you're gonna be like, that was, that was technically a complete movie, but it took them like some twisting to get there. Like, it's not a perfect movie, but it is a really interesting movie. If they just adapted that, then people would have come out of this theater like, "Oh, I just, I, I had a, I had an experience in there." Instead of people coming out of this movie and being like, "I think I need to call my friend with the anime doll to explain this to me." Yeah, because <laughs> that, like, at some point, I will have to explain this movie to another human, like I did to you, and. I'm going to be like, oh, fuck. It would almost take me less trouble for you to just watch all of it. Just go watch all of it, and you'll pick it apart piece by piece, and you'll be fine. This movie feels like this movie, I'm sure, makes you feel the way lots of people feel about Kingdom Hearts. Like, what the fuck is happening here? Yeah, just, I I just, I don't know where to begin with it. It, uh, as I said, like, I want to also just repeat one last time, you know, in every movie, even bad movies, there's something, uh, there are people who worked really hard on it and who had the best intentions in making it. So, you know, respect to everybody that, that put in the effort and time. But as I said, I feel like huma- humanity as a whole would have benefited from this movie not being made, especially considering that it was made in New Zealand and uh, just the carbon emissions that were put out by making Scarlett Johansson travel to the other end of the world. Yeah. Um, I, I and, and all the other crew like, members. Not worth the like that. Not worth it. 
not worth it. And also, I'm glad that we uh, watched it on the internet. NSA, stop listening. Uh, you heard him, Carl. Get off the line. Streams. Yeah, Al, Al, this is the Alex Jones protection zone. <laughs> so, um, I, so I, that's the other thing that surprised me. Is like, you know this movie just didn't do very well because... When you can find something in like two in two clips, and I found one when I was watching because I watched the same thing you did. I watched the first half of the same yeah. thing you did because I wanted to know I was getting the same thing. Yeah. And like right below that, it's just the whole the whole fucking thing. It seemed like I didn't click on it, but like I'm like I'm pretty sure that's just the whole movie. <laughs> no, it is. It, it was. You got the whole thing. Um, <laughs> It's like that's how you really also, know they've given just up. Just another, just another comment. God, this movie was so long. It was so long. It is a very long this movie. This movie refused to end. It's like, oh man, that's coming from a from a lineage where the original movie has straight up like, I want to say almost a minute of just. Like music and atmosphere shot after oh. shot after shot. it's like the transcendental experience that you snap out of and you're like, I wanted more of that, please. You know, Put me like back in the in the machine. One one more thing about the movie, real quick. Uh, you know what makes Gunkata much less exciting? Constant <laughs> slow motion. Yeah. If ev- yeah. if everything is in slow motion, then everything is slow. But I, I'm assuming you're talking about the like reservoir fight. Yeah, that that fight is like experienced in the original thing as like holy shit, she laid him the fuck out in five seconds. Oh my and god, that's that like the... I've seen more exciting uh, fights captured on cell phone via WorldStar.com. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's... just want to put that out there. It's just like, and so like so. I don't think we recorded this last time, but when I post this movie to you, I'm like, <laughs> I like had a wry smile on myself. Like, you want to see a bad movie with Scarlett Johansson in it? Yeah, no. And you fully said yes. Yes, I did. I did, and this was a bad movie with Scarlett Johansson in it. I, it's like, I just like the other. I, it's just so disappointing when you see a bad movie and you know it's going to be bad, and you're hoping that it's going to be bad good. Yeah, like, I'm, I'm like, and it's just not even. It's just bad. I didn't have it's a way bad. to read it because, like, like we've said this entire time, I'm coming at it from like, oh, this is a great thought experiment of like what all these different shows from the same property would look like with real people. Yeah, I just have to ignore the violent fucking plot holes and bad shit. It feels like if they did like. Uh, a version of Ghost in the Shell that was a future theme park a la Colonial Williamsburg. Yeah. This movie oh, is the is the equivalent of that experience. And those red nurses this, were like we got, the helpers. Yeah. Which by the way, I uh, I thought of a funny thing. Those red those nurses with the red like visors or whatever yeah. on, um, they stole those eyepieces uh, from the filaments inside of a toaster oven. It's pretty good, right? Yeah. Anyway, I, this movie was a real stinker, but I had fun talking about it. So at least there's yeah, that. Yeah, I'm, I'm like, 
even if he like totally didn't like it, that will make it a better conversation, which it was. I feel like this this pod is is gonna be one of our stronger eps so yeah. far. Yeah. It, especially since like for the longest time when I first started this podcast, my best episode was me just shitting on Neo Yokio, that Jaden Smith Netflix anime thing. I haven't, I haven't seen it, but I do have a soft spot for the guy from uh, Vampire Weekend. But it is a very weird project, and uh, I understand that people were not entirely happy with it. It was like a combination of Jaden Smith flexing about being rich, but also saying consumerism is bad. Maybe. Yeah. Well, In like I mean, a real I, shitty way. I feel like that's a lot of people. Uh, yeah. Nowadays, I think you know. At the at, on the one hand, you know, I am uh, you know as we said, I'm a fairly left leaning individual, but I too like things. It's tough. It's tough. It's tough. Uh, uh, I do also want to say just real quick: no ethical consumption under capitalism, folks. No matter what you're doing, you're helping support the system that lets it's others true. go hungry and homeless. <laughs> And oh. also, your comfortable life is probably built off the suffering of others. Anyway. So, um, at this point, I think we're going to bring it to the close, since between the two segments, which I'm going to have to cram together, we have close to two hours. I, yeah, I'm making irony bummer jokes. That's how much you can tell this movie bummed me out, because <laughs> I can't get out of it. Well, anyway. to be fair, we spent, like, the first hour basically of being afraid of going through this goddamn thing. <laughs> yeah, that's true. We, we, we sure did uh, uh, fool around as much as we could to avoid it. But uh, I want to say thank you to all the listeners. I'm glad to hear people like having me on. That's fun. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm, gl- I'm glad that people aren't just like, well, usually it's just this asshole talking about cartoons in my face for two hour- for an hour and a half. But now that this other guy... And now this there's this other asshole? Animated. <laughs> yeah. Um, uh, if you want to follow me online, uh, the best places to do it are probably Twitter and Instagram. Uh, my Twitter at Dan the Man Cohan, uh, Instagram at Old Man Dan Cohan. And if you want to meet me in the meat space, uh, I do trivia nights at a bar called the Local Tap House in Nyack, New York, every Wednesday, 8 p.m. Um, and you can find this podcast as well as some other stuff over at lunchboxpublishing.com. But if you like this podcast, I encourage you to give it a five-star rating on your podcast catcher, pod catcher of choice. And I have been Alex, and you've been listening to Lunchbox Radio. And until next time, I'll talk at you later.